Uh, all right. Hey, JP. Hey, Steve. So this is Point by Point, a weekly conversation between Steve Carroll and JP Camara. That's ah. my name. Uh, where we consider life's questions, something, 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 and spoil a movie. Beautiful. So the week is short. Let's get started. Mm-hmm. This week for book club, JP picked a book to read with his his book group. I did. What book was that? It's called Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, by Elizabeth Gobert. Yep. Yeah. Tell me about it. Well, um, you can buy it for a penny on Amazon.com, but that does not mean that it's not a good book. He really buy it for a penny on Amazon.com? Probably, I bet. Yeah. A lot of a lot of bestsellers are really cheap because they made a lot of them and no one wants them anymore. Is that how it works? <laughs> Uh, I heard Deep Pray Love was pretty good. I never read it, actually. It's I not read my book either. club either. I read Big Magic, which we talked about a while ago on the yeah. podcast. Uh, which is about all about creativity and failure. Creativity. Which is really good. Um, I think I learned a lot from it, but I didn't really take away much from it. And that's like, that's always a bummer with a book. I, I hate... I don't hate it. But when you read a book... There's a lot of good knowledge in it. The person's very knowledgeable, and there's a topic that you're interested in you want to come away from. But they, a lot of like mainstream books, the more popular books, they don't actually give you anything to walk away with. They just give you a lot of ideas. Uh, disagree? I, I, I agree with you. However, I don't think the book is to blame in this case. I okay. think I you think are to blame. I am just not <laughs> great at. It's a difficult thing to to implement to not be afraid of per, like creative pursuits mm. and to not be crippled by fear, but um, to have fear affect you less in the creative process and to like chase after good ideas continually. Like I, I think, but is that it like requires a courage and fortitude that I don't have? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna buy that one. But does the book actually say like, hey? here's what you should do. Like, here's some things you should do in your life to get through this stuff. Or is it like, Hey, here's an anecdote. Here's like experiences from my life, which are probably beautiful to read and all this stuff. I don't know anything about this book. So mm -hmm. I'm talking out of my butt, no, but that's fine. Yeah. you know, does it try to give you guidelines or is it just like, here's a, here's a story and like get stuff from it. Um, so there, there are stories and anecdotes. The, not to spoil the book. <laughs> oh, we're spoiling the book this week. Well, How long has it been out? Eat, Pray, Love, Elizabeth Gilbert finds herself. It's also a movie with Julia Roberts, which we it's will about spoil. cannibals, right? And cannibal priests. In the end, she lives. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Eat, eat, pray, love. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. The cannibal threw up his hands in disgust. Yeah. Yuck. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, big, big magic is really. Uh, it's, it's anecdotes combined with like a concept and, and the concept that she's sort of pushing for is that ideas are living, breathing things. Mm -hmm. Like they're not just something like they're not just concepts, mm -hmm. but they will actually come to you and speak to you and they will leave you mm -hmm. if you don't pursue them. Nurture them. Uh, yeah. Like if you don't actually like chase after them. Yeah. Um, and one of the, th the big sort of like things for her that she talks about in her life is how fear got in the way of her actually 
latching onto an idea and exploring that idea and how mm. like even sometimes when she had an idea and she loved it and cultivated it for a little while and then let it lie stagnant, she actually had another, there was another writer that she knows who the same idea came to her mm. and that writer pursued that idea and actually ended up writing the thing that Elizabeth Gilbert was working on and planning on writing, Wow! but hadn't been cultivating and tending to that idea. Right. So like she basically says like it left me to go to someone else who would, who would actually make it like come to life in the world. It's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of an interesting thing. And it's one of those, like, <clears throat> I guess it's like one of the good things about creativity or thinking about ideas like that. It's like at the end of the day, if I blow it and I don't actually like implement something or bring that idea into the world, mm. like there is some like solace in knowing that idea will actually come, but it just needs to find someone else who will actually take care of it and make it happen. I mean, it's also like a good excuse for not doing an idea. Oh, wow. That was a really great idea. But you know what? Somebody will come along and make it happen. Those yeah. kids won't starve much longer because someone no. else will like figure it out. Ooh, I guess that's true. Yeah. So there's really no no reason to not follow through on your idea. Follow through on no, an idea. I'm, I mean, there's some sense to it in terms of like life and history. Hmm. And like you see that's during certain time periods independently a bunch of different groups of people will come up with the same thing which yeah, is like kind the of moonwalk. insane michael jackson and another guy discover the moonwalk at yeah like, moon the same man time. yeah moon man moon man moon man it's like spoon man <laughs> yeah i <laughs> feel the rhythm in the moon yeah chris cornell uh, rest his soul but don't we, you talk about chris cornell what was it like two hours ago? I was trying to explain to you what Spoonman was uh, and who Chris Cornell is and what his significance was to rock music. Yeah, it was big. Uh, I'm so sorry. There were two people that did Moonwalk at the same time. Yeah, I uh, will add it in the show notes. I'll, I'll have to look it up on Wikipedia. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's great. I'm glad you used that example versus like, all well, the other examples uh, in history. You could I think. Have chosen. I think a theory. It was. It was a theory. Of, not relativity. Uh, what mm -hmm. was Isaac Newton's thing? Was it thermodynamics? Gravity. Gravity. There's like, even in science, like there, there's yeah. simultaneous discovery of the Mathematics, same concept. I think uh, certain, what was it? Calculus. I think there were like two or three people that independently like figured out the principles of calculus or something like that. Wow. Um, I mean, even, okay, this is a, not a cool example like math or science, but what about, <laughs> this is so stupid. <laughs> I'm probably really wrong. Um, when like a bunch of movies come out at the same time, they're mm -hmm. all basically the same thing. It can't yes. be possible that there were actually a bunch of studios that were all just like, hey, you can do this now and you can do this now. Like, did they catch wind of each other doing it and they chose a bunch of scripts? Like, how does that happen? Um, You know, like Saving Private Ryan, Thin Red Line, Thin Red Line, and uh, uh, like one other movie, Band of, like, Band of Brothers, well, Band of Brothers Private was Ryan, show. Thin Red Line. Well, but even, even so, yeah. uh, what was the other one with Pearl Harbor? Yeah, those all like came out like War so close to each other that sudden. they had to have been worked on for multiple years. What uh, question? So, cause and effect. Nine eleven. Like nine eleven. Elaborate. Nine, so nine eleven two thousand one. Like those movies yeah. came out. I think. Yeah, after nine eleven. I think so. So well. So I guess the point that I'm making is: so movies take what two to three years being in yeah. filming production, like concept filming production. Uh -huh. So movie studios are hunting for movies that like that show that Americans would be interested in. Yeah. So movies that are inherently patriotic about American winning, America winning, defeating enemies, yeah. overcoming victories together. Sure. Overcoming victories. Oh, sorry. Uh, having being victorious <laughs> together, overcoming challenges together. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> overcoming victories. Yeah, Americans overcoming victories. It's That's just, really a beautiful story. It's so hard to overcome a victory. It is. When uh, it's so good and you're just really reveling I in it. I was just winning and I was real good at it. And yeah. I had to overcome that. I can't be a sore winner or loser. It's America 101. Oh, man. But yeah, America's really bad at uh, overcoming victory. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but so yeah, if you like market research, you, yeah. know, you figure out like, okay, will these types of ideas be popular with an audience? Can we gain mm. traction? And it sort of makes sense. Mm. It's like a lot of the, the rhetoric right now about superhero movies is superhero movies have become the new like displaced foreigner type movie like movies like crocodile dundee or coming to america that's Mm -hmm. fine um to where like basically you're putting a superhero in a new place Mm -hmm. and watching them sort of bump into the culture right and so like crocodile dundee or even like road trip with jackie chan Remember, mm-hmm. like, Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker sort of, like, bumping heads. And, road trip? Uh, was it a road trip? Yeah. Rush hour? Rush hour. <laughs> Rush hour. <laughs> road, road trip. Tri- with Britney yeah, Spears. Yeah, that road trip. Uh, uh, I think it had uh, Tom Just, Justin Green. Kelly. Tom Green? Oh, that, yeah, that one. Uh, Ru- yeah. Uh, Orange County? Yeah, let's just keep saying words. Like that. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Road trip with Jackie Chan and Chris but, Tucker. Well, like, you had Rush hour with, like, Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. Yeah. Where, like... You know, they're bumping against different cultural things. And Are you just talking about, like, origin stories, though? Not origin stories, but, like, people from, like, we thought Crocodile Dundee, as Americans, like, mm. Crocodile Dundee was almost like an ethnic character, but, like, we could make fun of him. Like, it was politically correct to make fun of Crocodile Dundee because yeah. he was white and Australian. Right. Whereas, like, in the early 90s, I think it was early 90s that those movies came out, it was no longer popular to make fun of, like, black people who were just, like, coming to America, like sure. Eddie Murphy. Oh, but, like, yeah. That had sort of moved on. That's interesting. I never, I've actually, I haven't seen Coming to America in a long time, but I guess if a movie like that was made today, it'd probably be pretty offensive. If a movie I can't like remember that was really. Made today, it's a superhero playing that role. So, like, think of Wonder Woman. Huh. You saw Wonder Woman? Yeah. Okay, Wonder Woman. Think of all, like, the weird, like, blunders she had. Yeah. Like, trying she was, to figure out our yeah. culture, right? right? And it's really similar when you're thinking about, like, you take a foreigner, right? She's mm. from another place. She has a superpower. So, like, she's got, like, these two things. Yeah. And you put them in an uncomfortable and unfamiliar place. And so we look at that and we find humor in that because, like, they can't quite adjust. Yeah. Those dummies. But, like, the superhero movies are that new kind of movie. Like, they become that. But then, like, how did we get to all this superhero stuff all of a sudden? Like, what was, like, the catalyst for that? Hmm. I guess that one lines up. I mean, the the coming to America superhero thing, though, not all the movies are like that. Actually, the majority of them probably aren't. Thor? coming to right like Ragnarok. one of the first scenes like him like crashing down on earth and needing to put on like a flannel okay fair enough keep going uh avengers which one do all of them no i mean like, but like which character in the avengers uh avengers uh let's see scarlet no scarlet witch was the second one yeah. um but they were i mean they were from eastern europe they weren't but they weren't even in America. But no. they had like powers and had to get used to like being in the city and bumping up against things. So like in Winter Soldier, hmm. they're like confined. And Winter Soldier like wasn't a funny movie. No. Right? It was <laughs> or not Winter Soldier, uh Civil War. Oh, okay. During yeah, that Civil one was. Like yeah. Civil War wasn't a funny movie. No. It was just like they're all trying to figure out like how to live together and be in a place. Like that's hmm. the one movie that sort of broke that 
I, I think, like, broke that mold. But you look at anything from, like, Spider-Man mm. newly discovering his powers, like, in high school, whether it was, like, the Andrew Garfield one, the Elijah Wood ones, or uh, the new ones with the new guy <laughs> that I don't know his name. Elijah Wood, yeah. Wait, is Elijah Wood not in Spider-Man? It's Tobey Maguire. Oh, I always get them confused. Don't you take my thing. <laughs> Legitimately, they are, like, the same person. They're just, like, little... Uh, little white dudes with blue eyes, right? They both have blue eyes. Similar colored hair, similar face structure. Daniel Radcliffe and Elijah Wood look so much more alike than... No. Yes. But Daniel Rad- Radcliffe has a little thunderbolt on I his... I watched uh, Lord of the Rings. I, get, I re-watched it after seeing the Harry Potter movies. Yeah. And I made the mistake through two Lord of the Rings movies thinking Daniel Radcliffe was playing Frodo. Dude, Tobey Maguire and Elijah Wood could be twin brothers wow fraternal twin brothers moving on all right living in america so your book club book is not actually <laughs> pre- it's not it's a book on uh parallelism in programming languages specifically ruby wow yeah how many how many people are in your book club? <laughs> <laughs> it's just me. Okay. And I'm just staring into a mirror. Uh, no, it's all the other engineers at, at my job. Oh. Oh, so you do like do social things with people you work with. It's We do it at work. Oh. Uh, we take like an hour every other Friday and do a book club book. Wow. That's pretty cool. And you chose this one. I did because no, I mean, we just hadn't chosen a book yet. And uh, we we're going to do one on security because... Security is really interesting and really, really important. Everybody's really bad at it. Not important. People are not important. (laughs) Uh, And so I chose this one because it's good and it's important to understand how to keep your applications safe while dealing in multiple processors and memory models. Huh. And so your your intro into doing parallelism, did you like have a project you were working on or like something you were trying to figure out and like you started reading this book or was this just like you picked it at random and said, Hey, this is a new topic. This is fun. Um, I mean, I, it's not really new for me. Uh, Oh, cause you have a master's degree. <laughs> it's not really new for me as a master's degree holder. Uh, no, like I parallelism and, and concurrency and stuff in languages was something that's interested me basically since I started really getting into them. Cause it was like, Holy crap. You can do literally you can write code that's operating at the exact same time. It's all running at the exact same time doing different things. Hmm. And that kind of blew my mind a little bit and like constructing it to do that safely. And it's like, you know, like you have a, you have a computer and it has four processors. Those four processors can literally be doing simultaneous operations. And when you write code that is, can handle concurrency. And then when you write it, that on top of that can handle parallelism. So things happening in parallel, uh, you can utilize those cores to, get more throughput to your application and get more done. And so like, that was really, really interesting to me, um, how to make that happen. And yeah, so I've always been interested in that. By default, does like a language like Ruby force you to just work on a single core of the processor? Yeah. So it's actually like an intentional thing you have to learn how to do and branch out to multiple cores. Some languages encourage its use as part of the construct of the languages. Not very many, but, um, in Ruby, by default, it just works. And most, I mean, most common languages by default will only take advantage of one core because it's kind of difficult to safely utilize all the cores and do things concurrently hmm. um, unless you know certain things about how to do that. So hmm. 
I'm not going to go into detail, though, because that's real deep, and I've Super already been boring. deep enough. All right. Um, yeah. So I got a question for you. Sure. Why don't you use urinals? I'm a stall guy. I'm I, a stall guy. I've never met a stall guy, ever. I've never even heard of a stall guy. I mean, it's fine. I don't want to shame you. It's like whatever it is, it is. You know who George Costanza is? Yeah. Was he a stall guy? Mm-hmm. George used a handicapped bathroom <laughs> for several years at his job working for the New York Yankees so that he did not have to use a urinal. Huh. His own private bathroom. He also liked having his own private bathroom. I also like that, too. Yeah, it's pretty nice. <clears throat> it's really nice. Um, I uh, grew up. I was an only child, single mom. So and she couldn't tell you how to use that thing. So she couldn't tell me how to use that thing. Yeah, she was probably like, sit your butt down. Mm-hmm. You pee into that toilet sitting down, my friend. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Just as a kid, it's just like a weird... Uh, but like, yeah. Like when you were a kid, is that when it started? Yeah. Like the my, my first exposure to urinals is actually like in elementary school with like other kids so the first elementary school i mean i, I wasn't to, exposed to them before that point either it's not like i had yeah. a urine on my house <laughs> well the first elementary school i went to had bathrooms in the classrooms like all the classrooms had a bathroom she's like really weird not like out in the open <laughs> no not out in the open <laughs> i'm just but imagining like, like this is just a like a, a trough that everyone's peeing mm-hmm. into yeah you do book time and and little johnny's in the corner just on the toilet like <laughs> i'm still listening <laughs> you guys are doing great you're doing a great job the teacher is just reading and stinking. Johnny's just stinking of the class. Just dropping just, the stinky do. Dropping the stinky do, and he still does it today. Spends hours in the bathroom. <laughs> Poor- <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, inside jokes. Oh uh, uh, yeah, but John, yeah, spends a lot of time in the restroom. In the B room. We'll cut this out. This will never air. Hopefully. <laughs> so yeah, uh, for like early on in elementary school, all all the classrooms had small bathroom like private bathrooms like and directly in the cl- so like you'd be like hey i need to go to the bathroom and you would like walk two feet backwards mm-hmm. and you'd be in a bathroom yes next to everyone else what if you had to drop a do i did, i mean i don't know that i ever did that or i don't know that like the shame element had come into that yet yeah but once we converted so i i moved schools in third grade and starting going to a new school that had a trough like trough style urinals and like not like long trough but like rather than being like the raised urinals like you see in most bathrooms like you're peeing on the floor more or less into like a drain oh yeah those are gross yeah yeah so there was that plus the stalls and kids are just mean and also kind of weird and like being the new kid in the school like the bathroom was like a strange experience yeah and so i was just like I didn't want to like deal with like the shenanigans that would happen with like the boys at the urinal. And mm. so like more often than not, when I went to the bathroom, I just went in the stall. Mm. Um, and then like all through middle school and high school, pretty much like if I had to pee, I like, I went in the stall, but if I had to poop, never because like there's all sorts of stuff that happens. I thought you were going to say you'd go in the urinal. No, like kids would like go under the stalls and like, poke their heads in while you were in the bathroom or they go like over it like what? it was just it yeah 
Where'd you go to school? Bad news. I'm not saying that on the podcast. (laughs) 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 I went to a local private school. Nice. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so for me, it was like, and I don't know what it was, but I just... It just made me very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, didn't have siblings. Didn't play on any sports teams where, like, group nakedness was encouraged or... I did, and I was like, nah. I'm yeah. good. I'm going to go take a shower at home. You I'm not sh- out? Yeah, I would, I would not... Sh- like, listen, I'll, I'll pee in a urinal in the middle of a field or something, but take my clothes off in front of a bunch of other dudes. No, yeah. thanks. No, thank you. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. I'll do it today. Uh, no, I wouldn't even do it right now. Mm-mm. Actually, I had to do it in Iceland. Really? Yeah. I just remembered that. It's kind of a scarred memory. Uh, in Iceland, you if you do like public... Uh, shaming? Yeah. If you do public <laughs> shaming, every man gets naked and they all... You just stare at each other. It's really horrible. They all stare at each other and just laugh. Yeah. Just like, ah, laugh. that thing's so little. Yeah. Um, but no, if you do like their uh, hot springs... Or you do, I mean, I guess they don't really do saunas and stuff, but like public pools and stuff. You literally, there's a big room, men and women, a locker room. You have to go in, you have to get fully naked in this big open shower room. It's just a requirement. It's a requirement. And there's literally people there's walking literally around one. monitoring, watching you. No. And, and there's one towel and everybody and they, shares. <laughs> and everybody rubs each other's butts. Uh, just going they, down a line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like Wait, an assembly. So it's like a belt. monitor in there to make sure you're getting More naked. than one. What? Well, depending on where you go, the 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 one that I well, I guess I went to a couple, but the one that was like really strict, there were like five dudes, and I saw them two different times go up to people and be like, "Like, listen, you got to watch that that business." Like they're like watching you. They're like, "You got to take off those pants. You got to wash that business." And like so, like they're checking to make sure you use soap because you're gonna be in a public. Yeah, place you get like, like soap, and yeah, you so like they they'll provide like a liquid soap at some of them and stuff, and yeah, they they like watch you like uh, getting fancy in there because you're. Well, because you're going to go into a big public space, they like they're trying to keep it clean. They don't want like yeah. dirty bodies going into that. Like they don't want you essentially taking a bath in their hot spring. They are they want you to do that beforehand. Huh. And uh, and maybe it doesn't even make sense, like from a cleanliness perspective. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. It probably does. I, uh, I mean, I mean, because they they kind of do it in uh, I think in Jap in Japan in Japan in Japan. Uh, in Japan, culture. we didn't. When we were there, we didn't go to any hot springs or anything. But I, I do remember hearing that like their baths and stuff, they make you like scrape down because they don't want like all your dead skin just like going in there and just stuff too. But, in the pool. but yeah, in uh, in Iceland, they friggin' like force you to get naked with a bunch of other dudes and shower together. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So, knowing that that it was like culturally normative, did that make it a? a it made it a little bit easier. Um, I did definitely try to hide as much as humanly yeah. possible you're pretty out in the open but well, uh you gotta wrap it around your waist and like i mean i didn't have i don't think i did i even have anything with me i think i was like holding my shorts because yeah. you when you leave the room you like put them back on so cause obviously it's not like just everybody's naked in the hot spring too right uh but yeah i think i was just like buck naked like walking around just like wow, wow. i'm just and some and, you know the people are really used to it it's like they'll just Woo! Like they're just like flying, flinging that thing around. Yeah, but um, their penis I'm talking about. Oh, uh, oh, oh! I thought you were talking about like their flaps. Yeah, their their belly flaps. Yeah. But no, yeah, so that's like, that's just the way it is. So there were people with no shame, no, no shame, shame November. Oh my gosh! And then were there? Do you think you, would you rate yourself like in the middle, or would you put yourself like at at like? Well, I guess because I did it, I can't say I'm like way at the end of the spectrum. But like, if there was a shame meter mm-hmm. and like 
zero a shamanometer. How much of a uh, shaman are you? Uh, I was yeah, I was probably a pretty not a good shaman at all. Like uh-huh. if zero was like ultimate no sh- shaman, ultimate shaman. Yeah, ten was like the worst shaman. Yeah, I was the worst shaman. Like, you were I, very ashamed. Yeah, I was very ashamed. Um, but no, no, I was probably like a seven. Okay, there were probably some people. I guess if you were a ten, you probably just wouldn't go in. Oh yeah, probably. But yeah, getting nude in Iceland. Wow. Do it. it is Iceland, right? Yeah, it was Iceland. Yeah, you guys went to Iceland. No, I I know I went to Iceland. I just couldn't. I was like, was it one of the other? It wasn't Ireland, no. Uh, or it definitely wasn't India. Well, you know it was Ireland because there'd be sheep in there with you. That's true. There's a <laughs> lot of sheep in Ireland. Uh, actually, there's a lot of sheep in Iceland. Really? Yeah, there's saw sheep everywhere. It's the chief export of Iceland. Yes. What is it? Uh, fish, actually. Is it? Sea, sea, sea goods. Anemies. Yeah, sea anemones. Sea anemones. <laughs> sea anemones. Uh, yeah, I think it's all like fish and stuff we export anyone who's an enemy of the ocean yeah so you like cannot come on iceland if you don't love the ocean snakes snakes are not welcome that's st patrick from iceland discharged all the snakes yeah he did he discharged them he discharged in their them. uh medical system mm-hmm. yeah. <sighs> yeah he said you are free to go here's your copay <laughs> yeah. we'll and they were like later. what am i going to sign it with i'm a snake so i left hands well I used to until you you know, convinced man he should be a fruit. <laughs> That's right. Was the the snake had arms and legs? Did it? In the oh, yeah, it had. It, it used to crawleth upon the ground. Upon so the it would land. like drag itself around with no, its arms. It used to crawl like a dragon. Imagine like a dragon without wings. That was. A Don't snake. they already kind of crawl like they drag? No, it slithers now. It oh. used to. It used to scurry and scuttle. Once no. he got them to get that knowledge, his arms fell off. Because mm-hmm. why? Because why? Because what about the Komodo dragon then? Mm, the Komodo dragon's not technically a snake; it's a dragon. Well, I thank without you without wings, <laughs> or like an alligator. An alligator is also not a snake. Can you keep going? Uh, other things that are not snakes: strawberries are not snakes. Beautiful. Um, uh, daffodils also not snakes. A refrigerator is not a snake. Mm-hmm. An iPad is not a snake. Okay. Other things that are snakes: Python. Uh, it's a programming Anaconda. language runs on both a server. Just runs on a server. Hey. Come on. I can make bolognese. You can make bolognese. Real bolognese is incredibly challenging and difficult to make. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure a delicious, well crafted bolognese is very difficult to make. I can make a bolognese that tastes pretty decent. But of course, I do like a paleo bolognese or whatever. But it's very good. I enjoy it. I don't, if there's a different, like, okay, mm. the best bolognese in the world, 100% bolognese power, yep. is probably only like 40% better than my bolognese. It's probably only 10 times as good as your bolognese. I'm just saying, it, it there's a threshold, right? Mm-hmm. Whether, despite the you fact that it's. You can have foie gras from a can, or you can have foie gras from a real duck that's been force fed corn by Francois. I'm not getting into that foie gras again. Yeah. <laughs> Which one and the foie gras that's been force fed by ten French law might be ten times better than foie no, gras on a can. What I'm saying is, if you did it, if you could, if you were only allowed to go from zero mm-hmm. to 100, mm-hmm. percent the percentage would not be a huge difference. The quality that you feel eating it makes it feel like it's way beyond that. There's a there's a threshold you hit where it's like you hit that 90 percent. And it's like, it's almost feels indescribable to so say you like... you think compared to the world's best bolognese, yours yes. is 90%. No, no, I'm saying theirs is 100%. Mine is 60%. 60%. But even, I would, I would say that compared to the world's best bolognese, yours is 6%. But what I'm saying is, 
it, when you hit 90%, uh-huh. it feels like it's a thousand percent better than the difference in quality. Once you get to those high levels, there's almost mm-hmm. an imperceptible, it's not imperceptible, but there's a, there's a difference you feel that you almost can't even, you're just like, it's so much better. I can't even figure out why, but mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that the other bolognese someone else makes at like a regular restaurant or something mm-hmm. is so crappy that it's only 6% as good. It's just that quality level, that threshold you hit. Uh-huh. So, like, you could go to Olive Garden and enjoy a Tuscan soup as much as you could a yeah. soup in Tuscany. Maybe and with the same s- ingredients. 60% is good. be 60% as good, but yeah. passable. Passable, yeah. So, your bolognese is passable compared to the world's best bolognese. Yeah. So, you're fine <laughs> eating something that's just simply passable. Well, I'm not going to make the world's best bolognese. Listen, I'm not very good at cooking. All I'm saying is Gordon Ramsay mm. would come up and you'd eat oh. my bolognese. Oh. And so, he would go, that's shit. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were using his recipe all of a sudden. I got real impressed. But no, no, no it's you're not just... his recipe. It's just some dude's recipe. I've, I've made a few of them, but um, they're all paleo ones. What is in a bolognese that wouldn't make it paleo? Dairy. We put dairy in a bolognese? Have you ever made a bolognese? It's like cream in it. I'm pretty sure it's cream in it because I've only ever made paleo once. Is bolognese like... Nicole would be so mad at me. Vegetable bouillon and mayonnaise? Because I've definitely yeah, made that before. bowl of mayonnaise. Bowl of- <laughs> That's just it's a bowl just, of mayonnaise. Yeah, you take a bunch of no, grilled like hamburger. Vegetable bouillon and mayonnaise and you whip it up and then you put hamburger in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's hamburger Nicole helper. also thinks that paleo bolognese is a bastardization, but she'll eat it. Thank you, Nicole. She'll eat it and she'll enjoy it. I'm just saying my bolognese is probably like 100% better than the world's best bolognese. No doubt. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. No doubt. What's that? What are the ingredients in the Trader Joe's bolognese? Uh, xanthan gum. Got it. Cyrillic acid. Yep. Skrillex. <laughs> turkey. Tomato uh, sauce. Pepper. So when you're eating it, when do you get to the drop? Salt. Uh, you get to the drop as soon as you're done. Mm. Oh, you, you immediately drop have pants? to drop and <laughs> go to the bathroom because it is. Because Skrillex is just S- dropping some nasty beats down in that mm, intestine. So oily. Yeah. No, their bullying is is like it's not great. It's just basically sauce and meat. But the meat, there's not enough like bigger chunks in the meat. It's like very fine ground turkey. Yeah. So it like you don't get actually like. They do a ground turkey they bolognese? It's a ground turkey bolognese because it's low fat, high protein. Sure. No, I mean, like, I, I often make it with turkey, but. Yeah. It's not as good. No. Uh, my, I, have a, I have an Italian friend. It takes him 10 hours to make a bolognese. That is literally, literally 300 <laughs> times longer than it takes me to brush my teeth for an entire day. <laughs> uh, that's a long time. It's like me brushing my teeth 300 times. It takes me like an hour to make mine. Mine's still 60% as good as the world's best. (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) I just, I'm not going to say it's 6%. If I were to put your bolognese against like TGI Fridays, I would be willing to guarantee that TGI Fridays makes better bolognese. But it's not 6% as good. You don't know. Like, what's the... Although there's a lot of potential for the worst bolognese. Yeah, like, come on. But the a worst bolognese, one percent as good as the world's best bolognese, is still technically good. Like until you get into negative percentages, you're not actually dealing with like bad bolognese. I mean, I think when you're in the negative percentages, this probably is zero like percent as good as the world's best bolognese. I think you're gonna say this is zero percent interesting. 
talk about. <laughs> this is a hundred percent interesting. <laughs> <laughs> this is a terrible argument. There's no way either one of us There's can win. None. And I, I'm sure my wife, my wife, my uh, wife. Nicole, would t- totally disagree with me. Dude, she'd, she'd be like, throw you're, up on you right she'd now. She'd be like, your bolognese is she'd nowhere like, near as good. <laughs> I mean, Nicole could probably make a bolognese in her sleep that's like a hundred times better than my bolognese. But on a, percentage, it- on a percentage scale... Hers is 100%. Mine is 60%. Well, wait. On a, on a percentage scale, if you are 100 times better yeah. than 60%, mm-hmm. the problem is that is still 60%, my friend. There you go. That's how math works. So Nicole's bolognese is as good as yours. I'm pretty sure I'm also pronouncing bolognese wrong. Have Google pronounce it. See what Google does. Google. Uh, keep going. Mm. Bolognese. Mother, Bolognese. I was half right. Wait, but how do like how do normal people say I'm it? I was saying bolognese, and it's bolognese, bolognese, bolognese. bolognese. I don't want to know how to say it like an Italian person. Bolognese, 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 bolognese. Bolognese. That's how you say. Bolognese. Yeah. You're saying bolognese. I say bolognese. 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 <laughs> How would Andre the Giant say it, though? That's the question. <laughs> Bolognese. Uh, How would he say in Italian? Bolognese. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same in any language. Uh, uh, he made an appearance, didn't he? God, that's the desperation point we're at. <laughs> what, uh, what tech are you excited about right now? tech that i'm excited about um well uh i I met with a friend yesterday um he's i don't believe it yeah i have a friend oh yeah um he was uh, he and i like were talking at a party a few weeks ago and he was talking uh about right now he's working like for a, a non-profit i don't want to like name the name of the company but it's sure. like a non-profit that like works with schools and does like programs for children both like in the school and outside of the school. Hmm. Um, and he works in our city. He's, I, I assume he's pretty good at what he does. He's been doing it for a while. Um, enjoys it, but is, is thinking about like branching out and kind of both learning some new skills in a new trade, but also trying to like figure out like what's next. What, what could I learn to be more valuable, both like as something like that I would enjoy doing um, and something like that I could get out into the world and that people might hire me and both pay me more money for, but a job that could also provide me the kind of flexibility that I might want from a job, like being able to work remotely or, mm. um, that sort of like have flexible sort of working stuff. Um, so he was interested in kind of checking out coding. Okay. Um, because you know, he heard that basically like coders or developers or programmers are able to potentially like work for companies and not necessarily have to be there or like they could freelance their work Mm. and and kind of get their own clients and do their own thing um and you know maybe we should actually talk at some point about kind of the freelance life and Mm. what it actually looks like to sometimes be a remote employee yeah and working for a company because it's flexible in some ways but not so much in others yeah it really depends on how you like what kind of clients you have, what expectations you set up. Yeah. I always had more clients that I felt a little more responsible to 
versus mm. some people I know who feel a little easier to like go off and do stuff and just be working and asynchronously submitting things. But mm. yeah. And I mean, that tends to be more your personality. Yeah, I guess too, so. I think maybe, like, um, but yeah, so he, he, um, was kind of looking into stuff like that. And, uh, his main question to me was, you know, I want to, I, th- I think I want to get into coding. How would I know if that's something that I would either be good at or enjoy, right? Like those were sort of the two questions. Like, would I enjoy it? Could I be good at it? Yeah. Um, and I, I come from the kind of background to where I'm like, you know what? I think anybody can learn at least a little bit of programming. Mm. Um, just, I was a sociology major, you know, I, I don't were use, you? yeah, sociology undergrad focused on African-American studies. Huh. So real uh, money-making and tech concentration, <laughs> let me tell you. What made you want, you know, we don't have to go on that right now. Uh, yeah, we'll go, we'll, we should talk about it in the future. Kind of interesting, yeah. Cool. yeah. Um, and why did I leave it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> money, 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 money. There's an aspect of that, but partially because, like, I actually found a, a type of career that, like, satisfies and delights me working in. Mm. Um, not to say that, like, social work and... Uh, civil action or what would you call it? Uh, social justice. Yeah. Not to say that like social justice isn't important. Um, oh, it's more, I mean, technically in some ways, in a lot of ways more important than things that we do, but it can be. And in a lot of ways it is. I don't, I don't like mince that. I, I think I can have more influence on that doing the type of work that I do than I would actually be able to have like in a neighborhood doing like local community work and development. Okay. Um, and we can talk more about that at some point too, but, uh, the, the whole, so those two questions sort of revolving around, like, is this something I could do? And is this something that I might enjoy? I thought it was sort of an interesting question and not many people ask that about any subject really. Mm. Um, and the, the, the striking thing to me about it and the, one of the first and last insights that I share with him is like, you'll never know until you actually do it. Yeah. Right. So like he was looking at like all the options. Like, do I do a coding boot camp? Do I take some courses on lynda.com? Like mm. what even is coding? Like uh, he didn't really have like a good idea of like, what is the stuff? What is it used for? What are the type of jobs that are available? Mm. Um, so he and I met um, last night and spent like an hour and a half to probably almost two hours sort of going through. And I like drew out like the basic tech org structure. And pointed out like the basic positions in that org structure and said like, you know, these are, these are like the primary jobs and like the responsibilities of people. These are their like degrees typically that they have. They don't necessarily have to have these degrees, but it helps. Sure. Um, at least like to get a foot in the door. Yeah. Um, you know, these, these are the places where you'd actually be able to start with like relatively small experience doing what you do like a junior level. You know, and these are the things where you might have to actually have some more specialized experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of talked through like, you know, this is how a company works, you know, on the tech side, like how software gets made mm-hmm. and put into the world. Um, so like that's and that tends to be like the world that I live in now because I'm more like living in the, the product world yeah. um, rather than like being hands on a keyboard and doing a lot of the coding or being like an engineering manager, like making sure you know, things are delivered on time and according to the architecture and all that fun stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Dealing with effort, effort and resources. Um, Well, so I I am actually very interested in your friend um, 
sexually. Anyways, no, what? Uh, <laughs> no, uh, the because uh, so I had this idea for a while that I wanted to I want to like I, I like writing things and I never do it that much. You'd think I don't like writing things for the amount of time I don't spend writing, um, but I wanted to write a book about what it means to develop software and what's involved in it and what excites me about it to try to get people who aren't sure if it's something that's for them to mm. get a sense for like what goes into it and whether they might be excited for it. And also to give them some confidence that it doesn't necessarily take as much to get started as you might think it does. And that even right. if you come from different backgrounds and different skill sets and stuff, it, it could be something for you. And so it's very interesting. There, there were, there was a lot of, I mean, like I fell off of writing it cause you know, dumb, but there's, uh, there was a lot a, of, you need a co-author. That's why. Yeah, I think I do. Um, there was a lot of self doubt around like, are there really people out there looking for this book? And it's kind of interesting that you talk mm. about your friend because he is someone who's literally like, I mean, like, I don't know if he'd be like, I want to pick up a book that to learn this kind of stuff, but he's, he is asking the questions like, is this something real? Is this really for me? Like, is there, and is there a way to distill that information to someone to say like, maybe it is for you. And like, if you like this and this and this is the kind of background you have and like these are the kind of things you like to solve and um here are the preconceived notions people have and here's what it's really like mm -hmm. uh maybe there is actually a market for that that's why it interested totally me a market for that so back to my friend the question uh am i going you know is this something i'm going to be good at yeah uh will i enjoy it mm. um do you like solving problems? Do you like solving problems? I mean, that's that was one of the, the biggest things we talked about. Like the the analogy I gave. Um, so there's a couple things. So he he comes from the table. He's a musician, mm. right? Um, great. Man, everybody in my office is a musician, right? And like a lot of a lot of programmers are. And I yeah. think it's because um, when you when you play an instrument, there's the same type of things in your brain that light up as mm. when you write code. So like you can play an is that instrument. True? I think so. Like so I <laughs> No, I Sorry. I really think it's true. Yeah, I really you know what? I get this like I gut feeling. It. Science is mostly mostly about gut. So there are there are not actually things in your brain that light up. But like I like to use like the, no, I mean, the concept true, of a switchboard. Like your brain is like is is like well, no, a switchboard. It, it does literally light up. Oh, really? There's like I guess like what synapses and electricity moving. Yeah, I mean brain. the yeah, like I mean they do scans of your brain and like different areas of your brain light up. It act, like if you were to like put a little camera in there, would it, you'd actually see light in your head. That's what I'm this asking. This is electricity this and is like, yeah, I mean, well, I'm pretty sure little, I'm so stupid. It's basically little like lightning, little bolts. lightning bolts. Yeah, there's little, little Azusas so inside of your brain. There's a literal light bulb that's <laughs> little... floating on top of your head that turns on and goes bing. No, like when you, <laughs> when you say light up, yep. like that's, that's science. That actually is scientific. Mm. I know it doesn't okay. sound scientific, but yes. like they, they, that's how they talk about things. They're like, oh, you know, when you see this beautiful image, like this part of your brain lights up. Like they don't say like, oh, okay. like yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. how I they get, talk get, about okay, it. I I, that's what I thought you were talking about. I didn't realize you thought like, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm thinking of it more like, in terms I, of like, little Ikea, there's like, like there's like, lights set up. Uh, like a phone switchboard and it's just starting to like go zany with like, I mean, that's kind of what happens. So you don't believe me. Oh, I believe you. I totally believe you. So like, um, I hope I'm right for, for musicians who train on, on instruments that have like, that are melody based or like note based where like, you know, you're working through scales or even like drummers who are doing rudiments. Um, thanks for throwing me in there. Like paradiddle, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, or paradiddle diddles. 
So, yeah, musicians. So, playing scales. You play scales. You play scales. You play scales. You learn scales. You learn rudiments. You, you're doing your, your thing, your practice. And then you suddenly are able to tie those scales that you're learning into actual songs or music or parts. Mm-hmm. And the second you get a part and you finally, like, you nail it and it's right... Like you, there's this almost like this like feeling of like euphoria, mm. like to where and maybe it has to do with like the human brain and like goal setting and meeting a goal and then like setting a new goal and then meeting that goal. Like yeah. it, it's probably pretty similar to like that process too. Mm-hmm. But there's something in musicians I think that like we we found that in music and like if we were musicians before programmers, like we found it in music and then when we I start was. programming. Yeah. Yeah. We have that same feeling, but I think it's like escalated. Like, I I want to say exponentially. I bet I bet like a professional musician would disagree, but maybe because I mean like I don't know. Because a professional I, musician I, and a professional professional programmer are pretty similar, like in in terms of like you know level. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like in a terms light, of skill in a craft. Yeah. That's probably true. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess it's probably true for anything, right? Yeah. Anyone who's been doing, you know, the same a thing for a long time, yeah, ten thousand uh, hours or whatever. You know, the, I, I think like the switchboard lighting up mm. is the same for is similar. Like it's a similar thing for a musician as it is for a programmer. And when yeah. I explain kind of that, that, when I just sort of gave that metaphor of like yeah. when you you something goes wrong in your code, and he was like familiar with the concept of bugs and like things that like go wrong. And he's yeah. like, what happens when you have a bug? Like, what do you do? Yeah, you fix it. What? What? What does that mean? It's like, well, you Squash sort of it. you hunt through what you've written and you try to figure out like what the cause of basically like in in your code what's causing the issue. Yeah. And sometimes like you you Google it, you'll look on sites like Stack Overflow or other forums online, and you'll spend hours trying to figure out like what the hell did I do to cause this problem, mm. or like what's wrong maybe even with like the underlying code that you're using that someone else wrote that's causing this problem. Right. And, uh, but once you finally either stumble upon that issue, think of it in the shower, wake up the next morning with that idea in your head Mm. or like stay up super late and finally figure it out. Like once you do that, you get this like feeling Mm. and, and it's, it's like you did it. And it's amazing. And there's no, there's like no one. I think there's no other feeling in the world. that's like it. It's just like you are satisfied. I think, I mean, there's probably other feelings of the world like it, but they probably are a similar, like yeah. a, a related kind yes. of thing. But yeah, it's, it's, it is, I mean, euphoric's a little, a little extreme of a word, but like, Maybe. uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> just, but it's just like, it's, it's extremely satisfying. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, even, well, and it makes you chase the next buck. And there's also, I mean, it's, it's an interesting process because there are times where, I start something out and I'm like, I legitimately have no idea how I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. I just know that I'm just very confident that I can based on experience, based on the rule set, based on the fact other people have done something Mm -hmm. in the realm of this. I'll figure it out eventually. But there's like an end goal, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I I mean, like I know what I need to get done, but there are times where like, I don't know how to approach this. So like, Mm. and when you, and that's one of the other interesting things about programming and problem solving in this kind of field is like you put, you know, it's like they say about lots of things. You put 500, people, 500 different programmers in front of it, you're going to get 500 different answers. Huh. And there's there's a there's a creativity to it. Um, and then as you, yeah, and then you get along to that that point where like you have a foundation and you are building on top of that. But there is that that satisfaction at the end where like you really, you've done it. You've done it. You did it. It's good. 
got it out there. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cut it. Yeah, let's get out of here. All right, this has been point so hard by to point, say goodbye. A weekly, it is so hard to say goodbye. <laughs> it's point by point, a weekly conversation podcast with Steve. Hey, that's me and JP. Hey, that's me. Uh, we consider life's questions, something, 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 and spoil a movie. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, JP is JP Camara at JP Camara, and I am at Steve's Ninety Nine Things. Bye. We love you.